A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to I've Never Had an Original Thought with me, Becky Lee. I hope you're all doing well. I'm sweating a lot right now. The temperatures in London are sky high. I don't think we've ever seen anything like it before. Um, Yeah, so I'm suffering a little bit, but that's okay. Um, I also wanted to shout out Jerusalem. Not the place, the play that's on at the Apollo Theatre at the moment. Um, I literally bumped into Darren Chris there, everyone. I bumped into Darren Chris, who told me he had flew out to see this play. And oh my days, it was the most incredible display of talent I've ever seen in my life. It was phenomenal. I mean, Mark Rylance is a genius. It was it was incredible. Um, this isn't even an ad. I just think that people should go and see it because, yeah, as I said, it's one of the most fantastic displays of human talent I've ever seen in my life. Um, and you can get tickets on the day, <laughs> which I was lucky enough to get. So yeah, if anyone happens to be on the production of Jerusalem and wants to let me go again, then I would absolutely love to. I might queue and go again, to be fair. But yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It was insane. Anyway, on with today's guest. Today I'm joined by Jack Dixon, who is the co-host of What Would the Boys Do podcast, which he talks a bit about in this one, but he's also a formal journalist and full-time comms professional. Jack and I talk um, firstly a bit about PR, but the main bulk of our podcast revolves around conversations to do with masculinity, um, toxic masculinity, and ways in which we can recognize this and ways in which we can combat this. It's really good having these conversations and I really enjoyed spending my time with Jack chatting about it. I really hope you enjoy it. I've said really so many times. I really, Christ, I hope you enjoy this episode Um, and as always, please rate it five stars and subscribe and tell people if you like it because that helps me out so, so much. Okay, thanks again and thank you to Jack for being such a great guest. Speak to you at the end. Bye. Hi everyone, welcome back to I've Never Had an Original Thought. This week I'm joined by... Jack, uh, from the What Would The Boys Do podcast. Thank you for having me, for a start. Thank you for being here. How are you doing? 
I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm trying to trying to survive through all this heat. I'm not gonna lie. I don't think Britain's built for it. Um, I'm dying. <laughs> but I'm good. Um, as I say, thank you for having me. I'm very excited that you're here. Obviously, we're going to talk about a lot of different things, but the first question I ask everyone on my podcast, which you're not immune mm. to, is who or what is one person, idea, or event that has changed the way that you've seen the world recently? So it's a great question. I know I had <clears throat> I had a little bit of time to think about this um, over the past week. Now, uh, my first question was like, how recently is recently? But, you know, I have an immediate one, and it was one that I read um, on the BBC the other day, and it was essentially this guy called Ivan Skyber, right? Uh, and you'll be forgiven for not knowing who he is because I'm pretty sure most people don't know who he is. But essentially, um, he was he was kind of one of one of these guys that are doing like the um, the like defense forces in Ukraine against the the Russian invasion, which we you know we don't have to get into too much. But essentially, um, he he was essentially sentenced to death by Russian troops um, and was shot. Uh, in the side, uh, like 11, 12 other people there were also shot, um, who died. Uh, he didn't. Um, and he was shot in the side and held his breath for two and a half minutes whilst Russian soldiers walked around him before they left. Uh, he then walked into the nearest house, sterilized the wound, took the bullet out, um, and uh, kind of like sutured it, all of that stuff, um, only to find that the same, <laughs> same Russian armed forces were in an upstairs bedroom. Uh, we're here sleeping and resting. Now, I can only I can only assume that this guy has just got the, the world's best level of shit chat because he somehow managed to convince them that he he kind of got the injuries through like a like a community strike, if you like, like a mortar strike. Mm-hmm. Um, got taken to a local hospital, uh, reunited with his family, and he's now living in Poland, where he's able to recite what is a, a very complex story. And I've given you a very kind of brief version of it there, but. Um, I suppose just from my side, I mean, I'm like, if if that isn't the biggest indicator of willpower ever, I, I don't know what it is. Obviously, it's a tragic story, um, mm. but an over it's like an overwhelming feeling of irony, right? It's like it, <laughs> you're in control of your own story, and I think I love that. I think that's awesome. Um, it's an odd lesson to take away from it, but how can you doubt the only thing stopping you from getting where you want to be is is you? Um, you know, obviously, there's a tremendous amount of luck there as well, but. Um, the point stands like I thought that was an awesome story and just kind of uh, a bit of a weird one but you know there we go Um, yeah (laughs) are you implementing any of this in your daily life uh, it's something I live by, uh, like as a as a as a general kind of ethos is back yourself. Um, it's something you hear a lot in <laughs> in the podcast. Um, but essentially, uh, you know that idea of that. Uh, you know, if all else fails, you've got yourself to rely on. Um, you know, it's something I've kind of lived by from since you know since my formative years, I guess, since mm. I was kind of sixteen and. Ten years later, here we are. But um, yeah, no, I think uh, I think it's just a great and like really insightful and kind of uh, nice way of, of looking at life. Is uh, you know, if 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 you've got your own back, then you don't need anybody else's. And when you do have it, then it's just an added bonus, right? Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. And if you're if you can't believe in yourself, like how do you expect other people to? Mm. And I always find like some people that are in certain positions of power. I'm like damn I'm probably more competent than this person that's like you know what I mean but they clearly you know they can do it so why can't I excuse names right yeah and wait I mean people will know that I follow my podcast exactly yeah. who I'm probably talking about <laughs> okay they yeah, get ousted um, sooner or later <laughs> yeah exactly well yeah exactly yeah don't worry so it's coming for all of you who are incompetent at what you do yeah. um but yeah no I think it's it's awesome I suppose on a, a slightly like more um kind of like 
I don't know, positive note when you when we're talking about like backing yourself or like being kind of your biggest advocate is like when that support and when those like other people come into your life that kind of add to that mm. it just makes it all all that much better like it, it like it's not you don't need it but you just value it so much more like so I think that's a a, a really interesting kind of like like caveat to life is like actually if you get the basics right the rest of it just feels like a bonus so yeah yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. I agree. Um, let's pivot slightly into what you get up to, um, because I'm really interested in your career. To be honest, I don't know too much about PR. Um, sure. And I kind of want to know what role it plays in society at large. Mm. And kind of like, first of all, how did you get there? And why Why do we need PR? Yeah, so, I mean, my backstory is a little bit uh, iggledy-piggledy, I guess, in terms of, like, um, in terms of how I got here. So, essentially, um, I went to, to university, studied journalism, um, and then from there went and worked as a freelance journalist for kind of, like, six to eight months, primarily in sports, um, which is obviously where I'm, I'm currently um, in, in terms of PR. But um, essentially, from there, it was just kind of a natural communion now, like, uh, me as a person... I like I like talking to people. I like learning stories. Um, I like understanding how things work. So naturally, my kind of interest went towards these like bigger stories. So from from like a a kind of more regimented perspective, uh, perspective like PR is kind of like the filter between um, companies, um, organizations, departments, whether they're people, whatever, and journalists. Mm-hmm. Now you know journalists have such a huge impact on the way society sees itself, but also the way kind of like companies operate. It's almost like that. Um, there's a natural there's a natural synergy between the two of them. Like they're both kind of a little bit scared of each other. And it's kind of our job to sit in the middle, reassure, mm. kind of provide an opportunity rather than a scare factor. Um, so that's kind of how I see it. But yeah, essentially from from uh, journalism, I moved into PR. Um, now it's, it's often uh, known as, as moving to the dark side um, in, in the world of journalism. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy enough to have, still have some contacts there. And, and I think there are added benefits from, from having that background. I'm able to kind of talk to people from both sides and, you know, have an understanding of how, how things work, you know, whether that's media, whether that's news, etc. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I've ended up here. Um, I worked in, I've worked with big companies, I've worked with tiny companies, and I think I sit somewhere in between now where I, I kind of class myself as like a consultant for communications, essentially. So yeah, that's that's it really. I mean, it's it's kind of you know, it's been a like it's like been a short five years. It's not felt like five years, but suddenly we're five years down the line, and uh, you know, I'm able to kind of talk about it in, in some semblance of uh, authority. I hope so. Yeah. Do you like it? Love it. Um, yeah, no, love it. I think it's one of those things that, again, are coming from a quite like snobby side. You know, I was working as a journalist and absolutely loved that, but I mean. It, I suppose this, the, the economical and financial aspects of it are are, are mm. better. They are they're better than than being a journalist. It's more consistent, but also like I also have the added benefit where I'm able to like kind of influence from inside some of the biggest companies in the world. I'm able to to kind of take what they want their narrative to be, what they want their story, mm. and what they want their communication to be, uh, and and do it on a bigger level. And and that gives me a buzz. You know, um, I'm. I'm I'm, you know, lucky enough to work with some great people and have worked with some really, really great people as well. Um, so, you know, I'm still young, taking lessons from it, but ultimately, like, uh, it's it's a really cool thing to be a part of and you get to work with some ridiculously cool names. So, yeah. You're definitely selling it. Because I, I, why, oh, why, does, why does PR get such a bad rep then? Like, why, why are the journalists hating? Uh, I think 
there's there's two sides to it and i you know i can come at it from one side so as a as a former journalist <clears throat> it's almost seen as a cop out mm. you know people do the hard yards uh, in journalism for years um you don't earn a lot of money but there's always that semblance of like i'm doing it because i want to be a journalist um you know now my passion is is for kind of like content creation writing um i like speaking to people i like being able to to kind of influence people through power of speech and but also like content and copy etc mm-hmm. so um i think i think there's an ele- element of things i also think that there's an element of um miseducation with with pr when you think like pr or like or communications consultants you instantly think people trying to cover up bad things that people are doing yeah. which more often than not is not the case like not day to day and not for most pr people now those people that do do that um are specialists uh, and are generally very good at what they do but it's almost a um a stage of the, the pr that most people are aware of and the pr that gets a bad rap is actually kind of crisis pr and like mm. almost like an element of damage limitation rather than they can actively do anything to change it so i think that's probably where it comes from um but i also think that um it's one of those it's one of those industries that unless you're in it you won't know the the kind of day to day and you won't have an understanding of of kind of how it plays into to most people's day to day like you know whether it's you know i talk about this a lot but whether it's like you know news whether it's celebrities whether it's influencers whether it's like fashion sports all of that stuff all is played into there's usually a pr caveat mm. within that usually someone playing a role you know business stocks money all of it all you know all of it will have some semblance of of people acting as a media relations um consultant and or um yeah like aggregator i guess yeah it makes sense i mean in the world that we live in media is so important so it makes sense that you'd want someone to make sure you were putting the right things right right and and it's exactly as you as as we mentioned earlier right it's like you know yes you've got an element of you know you're trying to stop people saying things they shouldn't but also you're also consulting with them on 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 ways to actually make them say exactly what they want to be saying or pushing yeah. the right things whether it's products whether it's yeah. news whether it's you know business leaders um so yeah i think that's that's kind of where 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 the the misconstruence comes from but also that's the beauty of it Definitely. Do you have any stories of like campaigns that you've seen and you're like, that was shocking. How was that allowed? I mean, there are there are tons of them. I've, I was having to think about this earlier. I mean, the good ones are very easy to remember, obviously. So like, you know, there's there's a thing called guerrilla PR, you know, guerrilla G-U-E yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rather than gorilla. Yeah. Um, but essentially like using stunts or making bold statements, you know, whether it's like, if you're talking sports space which you know i'm currently working in mm. um there's no one better than paddy power you know and mm. betting gets a bad name you know and uh you know there are reasons for that with mm. without a doubt but also them as an organization they're like unreal at activating like super ambitious like often mm. like often sometimes controversial conversations as a means of like driving interest in stuff so you know whether it's like um they they did like they sponsored a football player's pants they gave him an outrageous amount of money and when he scored a goal just took his you know took his shorts down and his pants said paddy power on him and it was know. like a good like it was fun everyone saw it it was yeah. everywhere right like it was everywhere and that's exactly what paddy power trying mm. to create they're trying to create controversy trying to create conversation around sports it's exactly what it did um i suppose from a, a kind of more um i suppose from a kind of more like a better kind of indication of as good PR, you know, yeah. like 
I can't think much more than like Adidas. Adidas did a, um, a collaboration with a brand called Parlay, which essentially creates like recyclable, um, it, all of their clothes are 100% yeah. recyclable. Now they launched a tennis court in the middle of, uh, in the middle of the sea, made it completely out of recyclable uh, materials. I think I remember seeing that. Right, yeah. And a, a bunch of the Adidas-sponsored athletes went and played tennis on it. You know, like that in itself is simple. The activation yeah. is simple from from a both a kind of concept, but also from like actually organising it. They're already doing the non-recyclable production. It's just a case of making it on a grander scale. Yeah. And then you amplify it with celebrities and sports people. Boom, there yeah. you are. Um, but yeah, no, it's... It's it's good. Uh, and what about the <laughs> really what about the really bad ones? What about the ones and you're like, oh, who let <laughs> yeah, that? Who, who who signed that one off? Yeah, I mean there are some honkers. I mean Peloton. I I I in terms of bad ones, you don't have to much look further than, than Peloton, honestly. Like. <laughs> so in 2019, their stock price I think fell by like a billion and a half dollars uh, on the back of they essentially created this advert, you know, and it all kind of sits across that yeah. PR. Calendar, like um, calendar, if you like, in terms of ad- advertising, marketing, all of that. I kind of put it under the communications kind of umbrella. Mm. Um, but essentially, it was quite a dystopian, quite sexist mm. Um, mm. advert where a man bought his wife an exercise bike for Christmas, um, and that was meant to be a great gift. Uh, and you know, uh, you'd like to think they um, they learned their lesson from that one, but you know, is it literally only this year that uh, they did the thing with the guy from Sex and City, Chris North? Um, Mr. Big, do you remember? Oh Mr. yeah, Big isn't he like? Isn't he like known for being like a? Didn't he sexually assault someone? Yep. Yeah. Now, now, just uh, it literally four days after the advert aired, he was uh, pulled up on sexual misconduct charges. Christ. So <laughs> I don't know whether it's the idea that's bad at uh, Peloton, but certainly their their checking of uh, <laughs> yeah. of people they use are you know I think they probably need to work on that. But yeah. um. Hey, Peloton, if you're listening, you know, come to me. We <laughs> found a guy, honestly. I thought they were doing quite well with their, like, uh, TikTok. Like, um, they were treating their instructors as influencers in a way, and a lot of people were joining because they wanted to, like, get in on it. I think that they had an incredible they had an incredible rise over um, over COVID as well. You yeah. know, COVID works, and, and PR is a great indicator, you know, in terms of what it's in some businesses it was one of the first things that went during covid it was like you know we can't afford to be paying people when we don't have customers etc and that makes Mm. complete sense to some extent but then also the companies that actually stuck with pr continue to to market themselves advertise push the products are the ones that came out on top you know took advantage of of what was a horrible situation but you know look at look at peloton you know their market value grew by like 67 percent during during the Mm. first lockdown like that's unprecedented um like many things in the first lockdown, of course, but you know, um, it, I think, I think, it, like from from a business perspective, they did really well, but they almost they almost downplayed themselves yeah. with just some terrible decisions internally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hey ho. <laughs> it's okay. They'll they'll hire you next, and then they'll be you know increasing again and again. Maybe I'll buy a Peloton. <laughs> we will see. We'll see. We'll see. You know, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll talk to them when we come to that bridge. Eh? Of course, definitely. <laughs> so you also mentioned earlier that you are are you host or co-host? I am a co-host. Uh, it's a shared shared venture. Yes, and it's called What Would the Boys Do? I it always is, tend to ask, like, Jack, what would the boys do? But, like, that's... Do you ever know the answer to that question? Uh, I think the answer to that question is waffle on for <laughs> 40 minutes and an hour and 15 and hope that people continue to listen. 
Um, no, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, it was a, a bit of a creative endeavor that, that kind of popped up mm. uh, a long time ago and something that we've been working towards for a long time. But yeah, I, I suppose the question is, you know, what's it about? Why do we do it? We get yeah, asked this exactly. all the time. Um, <laughs> we, we get asked this all the time. Why do you embark to, on this madness? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you'll know as, as good as anyone trying to work it around a full-time mm. career and studies and that sort of stuff was uh, tough at first, but you, you get into a rhythm and, yeah. um, you know, you start to kind of, the, the things that take your time at first start to take less time, um, which is good. But yeah, I mean, look, you know, I would love to take all of the the credit. It was originally a, an idea that we we came up with, but I'm blessed that I work with Sam, uh, my co-host, Heppa, um, and he's the guy who makes it all work. He's complete polar opposite to me, which is why it works as a podcast. Yeah. Um, he's uber creative to the point where he's got like more creative endeavors going on in his life than I've got like actual career projects. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's, he's awesome. He's like, I, I, the way I describe Hep is just like an out and out creative, like he's, you know, a uh, musician, podcaster, gamer, videographer, like mm. all of that stuff. He's, he's basically awesome. Um, I'm very jealous of, of kind of the, the that mindset he has mm. and that ability to be able to just create things without really, you know without any semblance of like i need a structure he just does it and he's brilliant at it and um i both envy and appreciate him in equal measure um but yeah so i i guess uh we have similar some similar traits uh, and some similar kind of ideologies but ultimately we're very very different people from very mm. different ends of of a spectrum um especially the male spectrum which as we know uh is very very big yeah. <laughs> um but yeah it, it basically stemmed from debates that we used to have around the kitchen table often you know buzzed at 3 a.m after a few tipples but um <laughs> you know one on one hand they'd be quite heated uh on one hand you know they would be kind of always passionate but often one of us were playing kind of devil's advocate which mm. is usually me I like to be the guy on the other, the other side of it, just winding him up. Um, he's super passionate uh, and I like winding him up. So it's always good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I suppose what the, the idea behind it was at first was, it, it has changed in terms of what it means, but at first it was trying to kind of guide those conversations that a lot of young men have. Yeah. Um, and discuss them from kind of different viewpoints and kind of come to like some yeah. sort of some semblance of guidance, whether it actually works out that way, um, who knows. But, you know, whether it's sexuality, whether it's mentality, you know, relationships, careers, dating, education, sex, whatever it is, you know, it could be anything. It could be uh, anything so so small and so niche that one of us are interested in to, mm. to a bigger picture, like, you know, anything. Um, and we always try and come to some form of conclusion. Um but yeah, as you'll have most likely have heard on the pod, you know, it's not all serious debates. Um, no. Genuinely not. <laughs> like, I'd say for every one that's a serious debate, the two of them, it's just kind of free and easy. It's like you go from like uh, talking about dating to the next one's talking about like, I don't know, how, how long you'd survive in a zombie apocalypse from the first season. Um, so, you know, it, that's pretty much the premise. Um, a lot of it is just us waffling. Um, which as I'm sure you can hear from the last two minutes, I'm very good at. <laughs> well, I, I think it's great. And it was something that really captured my attention when I was listening was like how sophisticated and like quite informed and very nuanced your takes were. I don't think, I think there's a lot of, maybe it's just me being mm. kind of um, suspicious of men for many yeah, reasons and um, that like it's kind of like a they have an opinion and then you question on them on 
where they potentially form this opinion and they just come out empty and it doesn't seem like you talk like that so I really liked it um, good well I'm glad to hear that <laughs> I want to know I want to dig in on this because I actually really I don't think I've had this conversation maybe at all if not very often yeah. um, and I want to talk about masculinity because I think we'll both have different perspectives on it and obviously come from it from different angles but I want to know like what what does masculinity mean to you and like when did you kind of learn what it was yeah I, you know like as, as you say like you're coming from different perspectives I, I think the definition of masculinity is completely subjective and it's mm. subjective to both people cultures generations etc I think that's the most important thing like no one there's no one right answer yeah and everybody's kind of takes on it have pure validation regardless of you know whether you agree with them or not um, but it's certainly something that's ingrained in men in different ways. And, and again, you know, I, I, I kind of come back to, to what the boys do, but me and Hep have completely different approaches to, to things. And we have completely different takes on, on how, on, on kind of defining how we act in those, mm. in, in situations. Now, the fact that people are struggling to define what masculine is, is proof that the concept and acceptance of people having different kind of approaches to life is changing and i think that's a good thing the fact that this is now a conversation is a positive um you know however if we're looking at something more tangible you know uh, it's it's hard to say so like for me from the midlands where i'm from it's it's an area of like super hard working run-of-the-mill people you know you'll you'll know that too from you know being being from liverpool like it's it's a city that isn't built on on power and finances it's a it's a city built by hard-working people yeah. you know I've never been hard done by I'm really you know happy to say that you know everything I've always wanted has always been given to me by my parents and I'm really grateful for that however you know I've always been always also always been surrounded by people who feel comfortable in themselves to show their emotions mm-hmm. um, and I think that's where the caveat is these days yeah. and we're, we are getting there but because we're getting there everything seems so polarized what they seem so extreme um whether you are people that hide it away um you know hide your feelings or whether you're someone who's super expressive and i guess you know i guess the point i'm trying to get to is that the the definition of of masculinity to me now um it can mean anything but i guess in a traditional sense my definition of masculinity would be you know a figure of reliance and um and someone that people can depend on um a person that someone can come to regardless of what's happening in their life and and be a sounding board, you know, be, you know, be tough when they need you to be tough and be sensitive when they need you to be sensitive. Because I think actually that is the, the kind of necessity that's required these days when you have so many cultures and so many different types of people living in, in one society. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's uh, really interesting. And it made me think about how my perception of masculinity has definitely shifted. And it's a mm. lot more positive because I think you can get so much positive out of masculinity and like whoever you are you can always lean into masculine traits as you said like I think being reliable and like a a strong figurehead and kind of like dependable those are things Mm. that feel like really positive masculine traits or like being able to take care of someone not that Mm. I'm sure like there's femininity that does that as well but in different ways but they both have this like uh, almost like this they just have a necessity about them Mm. Um, in the sense that like they can do so much so do you do you think we're moving away from like the crisis of like toxic masculinity Uh, it's it that's look it's an interesting question and and 
again, I'm coming at it from a very sheltered point of view, I guess, as uh, you know, like, let's, let's be fair uh, for everyone listening. I'm a middle-class white man <laughs> talking about the crisis of masculinity. Like it's, it doesn't come much more middle-class <laughs> white than this, but you know, I think now or never, as I, I kind of mentioned, the division, the differences of people makes it so polarizing. I think that the, the definition of masculinity is in crisis, but in many ways, that's a good thing. As I, as I mm. mentioned before, you know, the the fact that people are are challenging it is good. However, if we're looking at something that is more tangible, you know, like day to day, the things that people are reading in the news, the things that people kind of lean on when we're talking about that crisis of masculinity yeah. now, you know, there is a hundred percent a crisis. Mm. Um, I think that again, I think that the extremities are, are often advertised more than the actual reality. Yeah. However, you can't disregard the fact that like, you know, a report from the BBC, I think it was this time last year, suggested that domestic abuse was up 72% during lockdown. Mm, you know, yeah. that's an outrageous number. That shouldn't that shouldn't be a thing. And it's not a generalisation to say that the majority of the domestic abuses are often perpetrated by men. Yeah. That's a fact. You know, it's not, I've not made that up. Now, I think we're in something of a warp now. Um, you know, I, I kind of struggled in my head how to find this because we grow up with so much differentiation um, across society of what it is to be a man, you know, yeah. and finger quotation marks have gone up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you know, should a, should a man uh, wear a suit and tie and be a breadwinner or, you know, should a man be able to express himself without judgment mm. or fear of retribution? Now, mm. each side of the argument has become so much more visceral um, and it's become vicious, you know, doesn't help we can talk about social media for all its positives and all its negatives Mm. it's an echo chamber unfortunately you're surrounded by people who think the same because that's how algorithms work but you know moving away from just that we're surrounded by a lot of angry young people um you know and less angry as well people who just don't understand how to control the emotions they have you know there are people scrambling for kind of some form of identity um and are constantly looking for approval on the right way to be Mm. And there is, I think in previous generations, there has been a right way to be. Does that make yeah. sense? Like there's been a figurehead, there's been an archetype of how to be a man or how to be a woman. You know, it used to be breadwinner, housewife, mm. et cetera. Mm. Like those norms, they'd be smashed them out of the sky and with good reason because they, they were outdated. However, it did you know, like a toolbox. Right, exactly. You know, it's almost like, you know, you, you pop on your suit and tie, you pick up your briefcase, you pop to work, you do your nine to five, you come home, you, you know, yeah. put your feet up. Dinner gets brought to you, look after the kids for a bit, bed, boom, you know, raise a family, that's it. Now, you know, as I was saying, it's kind of like people are constantly looking for approval and the byproduct of that is frustration um, in in many ways and exerting that frustration. Unfortunately, um, it it comes out on other people, you know, um, whether it's, 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 um, you know, vocal, whether it's physical and, you know, God forbid on both forms, but unfortunately it does happen and, and most people are guilty of it at some point in their life, you know, mm-hmm. is, don't want to hide away and, and say that everyone, you know, there are perfect people, there aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, the flip side of that is that you have a generation of older people, right? You know, people are not necessarily our parents, but maybe the generation above them. And some some people are our ages, are, you know, their parents, right? Yeah. Um, people that, you know, the wealthiest generation of people in society between 40 and 60, who've lived through different generations and, and have ultimately been brought up in a different way. Mm. Now, that in itself is an echo chamber, provides friction. Can I jump you know? in with a question quickly? Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, 
is it our responsibility to influence them and try and change their minds? Because I always say to my parents, like, they have some older friends and I'm like, you should argue with them when they say, mm. you know, insert sexist comment about their wife. Mm. And my dad's like, Becky, this guy is 65 years old. He is not going to give a shit if I say, you know, you shouldn't say that. And I'm like, yeah. no, but you sh- like, is it, is it, should we put in the emotional labor or should we just let it be? I think there's an element of time and place. Um, I think the issue is, right, is, is if it's in a public forum and you are... So, for instance, you, you hear a comment like that in a workplace, you have a responsibility yeah, yeah. to call that out. Now, unfortunately, you know, and whether it's right or wrong, you know, if this man is in his own home and, and saying outdated shit, whether there's any um, malice to it, you know, yeah. let's, you know, let's, that's one of those things as well with other generations. There's no, yeah. if you've grown up that way, there's no, no, there may be no offense meant. Yeah, it I understand that. It may be just the way they operate. Yeah. So it's, you know, that's a great question. And it's, it's not for me alone to answer. But mm-hmm. what I would say is that where appropriate, obviously call it out and where you think actually, Am I am I achieving anything by aggravating people who, if they're not offended, really is is there any sense in it? I think it's hard to sit on the fence with this one, you know. But I do think that like the most kind of if you you're kind of generalizing, but with if you see like if you see someone with painted nails or you bring a man with painted nails home and and they get targeted by a family member, then you have every right to yeah. to, to call that out, right? Yeah. But then I suppose it, it's all situational. It's all contextual. Yeah. Um, but I do think we have a responsibility to call that out in public, in, uh, you know, in workplaces, in places where people are for, not forced to be, you know what I mean? Though, like, they have to be there. Yeah, everyone yeah. works, you know. Yeah. I think there's a responsibility to make everyone as comfortable as they possibly can be to be who, who they are, essentially. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And you said that so eloquently as well. I think I threw, uh, threw that bit of but you, but you really tackled the question well. What what kind of, I'm interested in like what aspects mm. of masculinity or like even aspects of like toxic masculinity that you feel like you've been most pressured to lean into? Like is it, does it come to like women and dating or is it more to do with mm. like building up muscles and looking like the most jack that you possibly can? Like where does toxic <laughs> masculinity come into your life? <laughs> It's difficult to say. I think I think with a lot of people, that definition of toxic masculinity doesn't really like you. Don't really notice it. Mm. Like it, I think with a lot of people, you just you kind of you know it's just what's said. It's just where you're from. It's just how how things are said. Like you know, in the same way that the, the area that I'm from and the people that I surround myself with, you know, not my age, but that people have kind of influenced me are hardworking, great people. They often are those people that have you know mildly outdated views of the world now. You know, I suppose if we're talking about toxic toxic masculinity that you lean into, you know, I am, I'm, I suppose, the archetypal, like, I, I go to the gym because I love it, because it's yeah. something that drives me. Now, it can that be misconstrued as me trying to alter myself to be the most masculine man? I could understand if it was. You know, that's not the reason I do it, but I could understand if, if that was the case. Now, I suppose if we're talking about dating and, and relationships and stuff like that now, uh, it, you know, it's it's a complex question, and I, I wish I could pinpoint this in more a more succinct way. But you know, there's an element of ego with men. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's not simple. Like, 
one of the topics we kind of discussed on the pod before now is like the idea of meeting people romantically now you know one thing is for sure that the conversation around safety for all genders like on a night hour or social occasion is mm. genuinely one of the most important of our lifetime i think the world has changed um and people should feel as comfortable as as, com- as, as possible at all times I, I really genuinely believe that you know however the norms of meeting people and specifically for men, you know, and this is something that I've talked about at, you know, at length before has changed in recent years. And as I say, for the better, but it has muddied the waters in terms of what's appropriate mm. now, you know, and, and, you know, I'm keen for your thoughts here, but the idea of going and talking to someone in a bar, you know, you're in a bar, you attract someone on the other side of the bar, right. You know, in traditional terms, you would have gone up and, and just spoken to them, offered to buy them a drink, you know, that sort of thing. Now, it, like you struck a conversation, how the waters have changed somewhat now, you know, you, you'll find yourself and young men, and I know this to be true, young men will find stuff, is that appropriate? Mm-hmm. Will I make them feel uncomfortable? You know, if not now, when? You know, that kind of, you know, how, how can I go and talk to someone in that setting? That is appropriate. You know, will it be misconstrued? Will I be challenged? Will I face humiliation for any kind of potential misconstruence? Like, yeah. it's, it's not a simple question to answer, but I would say that that's probably one of the more prevalent ones. And, and you know, just to reiterate, like those conversations need to be had and those and those those challenges need to be to be made, you know, yeah. but it, it has it has muddied the water in terms of, of kind of like, you know, that idea of meeting someone romantically, like, what is the correct way to do it? Like, how how do you do it whilst being compliant with like the, the social norms or the new norms? Mm. I guess, mm. um, whilst also trying to keep some semblance of romance with it. I guess, without having to write your name on a card and showing them that you you know you're not uh, you're not going to hurt. Like, yeah, yeah, I get you. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I I wasn't thinking about it from that perspective of like um, almost feeling that you know, you need to hold yourself back because you don't want to hurt anyone, which is obviously, Mm. like, really interesting that you had to go through that thought process and obviously a very good thing because you're being really considerate. Um, Yeah, I don't know why I'd... I mean, I think in most scenarios, as long as you're kind and courteous and you approach someone respectfully, and as, Mm. as long as you don't, like, I think opening with any sort of, like, Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. You're amazing. You're probably going to be able to like, hey, you know, how you doing? You're probably yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, you know, like, and, and that's not to say that, that you know, that there are obviously ways to do it. Like, it's not, mm. you know, people do it every day. It's not, no, I'm saying, I, I think from a perspective of, of especially young men who, again, are caught between two worlds of, yeah, this is how my dad did it or this is how my granddad did it. You know, this is... <laughs> The way the lads down the pub told me to do it, and yeah. this is this is actually the way I I can see the world is going. You know, it, it's a fine line, um, but yeah, you know, I think to to kind of expand on on that point, you know, those systematic chains are absolutely needed, mm. like, and they have been needed, and it's you know, again, I'm coming from a male perspective here, but it's it, to to some extent you can see that change. Um, we're seeing it take place before our eyes. However, you know. That's not to say that they, 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 there's so much more to do, you know, yeah. and there's so much more guidance required from figureheads as to how to act appropriately. You yeah. know, it's an echo chamber, as, a, as I've mentioned before, and I, I think the more we do to kind of educate people on, on how to act with some sense of decorum, mm-hmm. um, you know, and be, a, be kind of sensitive to, to every walk of life, then the better we'll be. Yeah, I'm just thinking now as you're talking about how polarizing I think um obviously this isn't considerate of everyone but in regard Mm. to like cis men and cis women how Mm. polarized we can I I think especially I think women feel at the moment again I might be generalizing Mm. but I think there's a lot more hostility towards men at least openly than there ever has been and I think Mm. that's you know in the wake of so many scandals in regard to sexual abuse yeah, I think like it was a report that came out that was like ninety seven percent of women have faced some sort of like sexual abuse or harassment, and I think yeah. it's just like I think with social media as well, women talk about it so much more, and I think conversations like these don't happen too often because I would never yeah. ever think like this guy's gonna be scared to come up and chat to me. I'm mm. thinking I need like is he gonna attack me you know what I mean yeah yeah but but it's not like that but the only reason that I think like that is because I'm not actually having these conversations yeah yeah no I get that and and you know like there's no downplaying it like Mm. it it, and it's it's exactly I come back to there is a crisis like there is there is a crisis you know um we live in a world where certainly our world the western world is becoming more diverse is there is there is that measure of, of equality that is coming is mm. not perfect and I'm, you know I would never say that you know again middle, middle class white male but um, <laughs> but th- those conversations are being had you know it, however you know I think there's there's uh, there's also the flip side of that is or if all you see if all you see is those stories you know mm. whether it's you know whether it's the 
Sarah Everard, you know, yeah. whether it's, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not clued up enough to just name drop names, but whether it's someone walking home from a, a night out, yeah, it's terrifying. It must be yeah. terrifying, you yeah. know, like there was a point last year, I think it was, it was post, it was, yeah, it would have been post Sarah Everard because we were during COVID, wasn't it? And that would have been post mm. the first lockdown. And I genuinely had a conversation with um, a couple of colleagues and, you know, we'd been out for a drink or whatever, mm. um, two, two other, other blokes, and uh, we were about to set off and there was a group of four girls in front of us. And I, I, I quite literally just said, look, I don't want to walk too close. You know, I don't mm. want to walk too close mm. to them. Now, it's horrible. It is horrible that we should have to have that thought process, yeah. but it's equally, equally, I think it's a sign of the times that, three mid-20s males were able to say like actually let's be <laughs> let's be sensitive to this because mm, mm. it's like I say it's 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 a horrible world um it's less horrible than it was at any point in history before mm. but I think the fact that when when those horrible tragic things happen it just it's just amplified so much more yeah yeah um, actually, something else that I would love your opinion on, again, this is a bit of a curveball, but obviously Roe v. Wade has been overturned in the US, yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, I don't want to add to the, I mean, anyone could speak more informed on the way that it impacts women's lives, but I yeah. wanted to see, I remember reading this article about how men are impacted by Roe v. Wade, and how mm. um, th- they're part of the timeline of pregnancy is kind of just omitted because it's still impactful to men if a woman can't access an abortion and um, mm. and it's not really spoken about i don't know if you can just there's no question here it's yeah. just something to like why do you think it's left out of these conversations i think you know i think that the most important part and first thing i you know i'd like to say on, on that matter is is that it, it's it, it's absolutely um mind-boggling that, that this is a conversation still being had yeah. um now let's let's you know i want to remove the aspects where we talk about you know religion and and why yeah. in some sense us again is 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 um a, a primarily a sectarian place where you have you know where some people when where some states sorry in some areas are dominated by religion others aren't yeah now without uh, in no way agree or justify the decision the Roe v Wade being overturned however I can understand it like logically I can understand why that is a scenario in the US now yeah yeah from from that perspective I, I guess it's it's difficult to place the male thought process into this because arguably by the time that um by the time that someone decides to, to, to have an abortion or or take that practice, the conversation and or decision should already have been had. And the decision lies, you know, with the person carrying the baby. Now, um, I think, you know, you're right in that, yeah, it does affect men. And, uh, you know, there is an element of it that's like, oh, you know, as young men, are we better off? No, of course we're not. We're no better off. But I think the real conversation for men... Um, around kind of this topic and certainly around specifically Roe v. Wade is like how like what what can what can we do to help and reassure now like is that a revision on what safe sex looks like for Mm. young men 
Mm. Is it is it is it a revision on how you know what conversations are had before you get to the point where you're having sex with people? You know, like mm. one night stands. Look, I'm I'm great, fucking mm. brilliant, like awesome. But there is there is a responsibility for both men and women to mm. make sensible decisions yeah. that won't affect each other's lives. You know, and it's it's about it's not about my responsibility for me because if I make a mistake, that's on me, right? But if if I make a mistake and it affects somebody else it all comes back to that idea of being uh, of being masculine of being a man being dependable you know mm. it, it emotionally i can't speak i can't speak for that you know i've never been in a position where where that's come up but what i would say is it's the same gut wrenching feeling um you get when you think you've hurt someone yeah. you know like and you can't do anything about it now that must be just so much more amplified when you know you come you come to the the, the the pressures that you'll have to undertake for you know being a being a man being a young father whether it's young father or just especially father in general, if you know. both of you don't want to be a parent or just weren't expecting it you know yeah. exactly like it's all it's all timeline thing you know like there are m- most people and again this is a generalization but most people want to be a parent at some point in their lives but yeah. there are time and places and you want to be responsible and you want to be yeah, in a position yeah. where you can give a child the best life you can you know I think I think it's it's barbaric that we live in such a such an age where these conversations even have to be had and yeah. the judgment is being made on others without any semblance of, of kind of understanding um but yeah you're right there is there is probably a lack of of kind of um talking points around how how abortion especially affects men um yeah, and i think you know i think if we're moving away from the kind of policy side but even just towards like a you know like the way people act and make the decisions that people make you know like for instance say say you know you 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 haven't you know, conceived and it's not something that uh, you foresaw coming um and someone you know and a, a young woman is hell bent on on having an abortion and you don't want that yeah. now that decision unfortunately is you know in today's day and age is not yours it's not yeah. your body and that is yeah. where 100% where it should be but mm. the emotional turmoil of that I'm sure yeah, must be you exactly. know, genuinely damning yeah yeah yeah, yeah 100% um mm. and I obviously am not a man so I don't know if those conversations are necessarily had mm. um but I just think it, it's interesting to always talk about the flip sides especially yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd like you'd like to think those conversations are had and I think, you know, again it's a responsibility of of uh of young men everywhere to try and make sure that one those conversations are being mm. had but secondly that you know, whatever however you're feeling emotionally um about something do your utmost to to kind of tell people because mm. you know that it comes back to the conversation that, that uh, men between, I think it's men between 21 and 30 are the most likely to to, to commit suicide yeah. or self-harm. Um, and it's at a higher rate than it's ever been, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly something to to bear in mind. Mm. Um, when you're t- talking about those kind of toxic traits, you know, one of those toxic traits is hiding your emotions. Now, you know, the idea of, of taking your life is probably more prevalent than ever now. You know, it's not something that was ever really considered in previous generations unless it was you know absolute just dire dire mm. straits you know war mm. you know people with yeah. war did it but yeah. it was never really something that was advertised if that makes sense um and advertised is probably the wrong word but you understand my point i hope yeah. um but hey yeah you're right there should definitely be more conversation around <laughs> how the yeah is, is there anything that you've had to unlearn like is there anything that you feel like you grew up with and you kind of had to start to question about like why do I think like this 
Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, that's a fantastic question. Um, like a really, really great question and a nice way of putting it. I think there's a couple um, from my side. Um, a great piece of advice that, that I took when I was younger, uh, my, my grandpa told me, um, uh, and it's, it was essentially the guidance can come from anywhere. You know, like I think with men, and if you ask most men, um, who or what inspires them, they'll often look to of the influence of other great men um, yeah, you know yeah no it's true though it's it's true you know and I, look, i'm as guilty of it as anyone else like it, it's not it's i don't think it's a conscious decision it's just who you look to and it's it's you know arguably the same conversation could be had uh from from a feminine standpoint yeah i was just gonna say i think people like to look up at people that kind of um not mirror them but kind of look like them in the sense mm. of like they did it, so I can do it too. Like that's why it's important for people um, of different ethnicities to have people that represent them because they're like they they look like me. They have the same cultural background as me. I really yeah. like them, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and and I you know I I, I echo that. I think and I think that's awesome. By the way, the, the decision to be able to, but that, mm-hmm. I think that conversation is that is something that I had to unlearn from from where I'm from now. You know. Yeah. Uh, so you know, as I say, it's, it's like having an alternative perspective, right? It's like I'm I'm pleased to have a stable, like, like a stable of mentors, both male and female. You know, I've yeah. awesome women, uh, awesome women in my life, awesome men in my life, and I think that's great. However, you know, um, you know, a, a unique but tangible viewpoint on how to overcome things is important. Um, and one of the ones I cite quite often is, is not long after I moved to London um, and not long before COVID kicked into gear, um, my, my mother was, was diagnosed with cancer. Now, um, I'd not long moved to London and I remember receiving the news over the phone, unfortunately, in my workplace. And God. naturally, you know, it comes to the shock, you know, yeah. and I sat there trying to kind of stifle <laughs> my emotions. Um, because I didn't want to share emotion in front of my colleagues because I hadn't known them that long wow. from the start. But yeah. secondly, I thought it was my responsibility as as a, a, a young man to be able to to kind of stifle that emotion, not really show it and kind of crack on. Um, and I'll never forget this. A male colleague of, of mine and a female colleague of mine came in, they shut the door uh, to the kitchen and they, they just said, Jack, let it out. And it, now, not because they thought I needed it, because they knew that I need it because they had gone through a similar thing. You know, they, did, they weren't saying, you're a man, you should cry. It was, look, it doesn't matter who you are, you need to do this because you, you, can't, you can't overcome that. Now, I don't know whether that's cynicism and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm accused of being a cynical quite a lot, which is it's okay. Um, but I don't know whether that's cynicism or, or uh, stifling of emotions came from the people around me or whether it's just my personality itself. Um, but... I've never felt more seen in my life, but the fact that that advice came from a woman, you know, that shouldn't be a surprise. Mm. But I think because of how we're taught to idolise and how we're taught to to kind of um, take inspiration, I think, you know, it it, it blew my mind a little bit. Um, And, you know, I think that idea of not wanting to accept advice from people, um, uh, advice from people because they don't know how I feel, has been actually pivotal to making me a, like a much more balanced human. Um, so I think that was, you know, like that was one of the key ones in terms of unlearning that idea of that, that, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't take advice unless people can exactly relate to you. Cause you know, you don't know what they can relate to in reality. It doesn't, the gender isn't important. You know, of course it's absolutely okay to look to, to, you know, for me to look to a sportsman and be like a male sportsman, and be like mm. he inspires me because of his work ethic. But then, 
I'm also inspired by you know the co-founder uh, you know the founder of Bumble um yeah, and yeah. co-founder of Tinder because she's the first first woman that's ever been valued at over a billion pounds you know and yes that's <laughs> weird to think that that inspires <laughs> me but it does you know um so yeah I think you know I, I'd be interested from your perspective as to whether there's been anything that you've that you've seen that had to be unlearned from people around you whether it's people around you or whether it's kind of like just men in society generally as in like things that I think certain men in my life have unlearned or should unlearn yeah Yeah. Uh, because you know I I struggled with this one to come up with an example now Uh, you know not necessarily unlearning as such but certainly something that was so polarizing that you could give a tangible thought process, if yeah, that makes sense. Honestly, like for me, the the thing that I've seen the most is that emotional repression of in like a like I'm not upset, I'm not affected by this. This this yeah. means nothing to me, or I'll be fine. And me thinking, if that was me, I'd be in bits. I'd be in mm. bits, you know. Mm. And and you know, you're claiming to be fine, and I kind of like in those scenarios. You kind of want to push a bit, but you don't want to make someone uncomfortable. But just making mm. them feel like, hey, like if you're not fine, it's okay. Like, yeah, it's like it's so like cliche, and you've heard it a million times. Like, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah, but that yeah, really yeah. is the case. And I think, I think, in, especially when you have those spaces, I think men in general that I know have quite an issue with like just being vulnerable and mm. just like opening themselves up truly. Because it's interesting. I'll go, oh, what's I'll talk to my partner, like, what's your friend's perspective on this? And he's like, we didn't talk about that. And I'm like, what do you talk about? And he's like, I don't know, (laughs) sports? (laughs) The footy. Yeah, the football. (laughs) And I'm thinking, yeah, but, like, his mum is, like, you know, let's say his mum is in the hospital. Why didn't you ask about her? Or, oh, he didn't talk, but he didn't want to talk about that. And I'm like, that's that's a big thing in his life. Like, if anything like that has happened in my friend's lives, that's the first thing that we want to talk about with each other. Yeah, no, I get that. And, you know, it's... It's a weird one. Like, um, it, it, it is. It's. It's not said. It's not said that you have to be that way. It's not yeah. learned that you have to be that way. It's never advised. Uh, but it's almost default mode. Um, mm. I find for, and especially when you haven't had the life, um, the kind of life experience to advise actually what is appropriate. Mm. You know, it's almost easier to go back into your shell and not admit it. You know, whereas. You know, I think from a young age, uh, a young age um, in in many cases, and, and in a traditional sense, you know, if we're talking about gender stereotypes, it, it, in every film we've ever seen, in every household you've ever seen, mm-hmm. in every perfect example of a family setup, young girl is protected up until you know up until she's X age, yeah. and young men are told to go and free and explore the world and go on yeah. adventures and be a man, you know. Yeah. And I guess I guess there there even though we are so much more developed society than we were seventy years ago, mm. there some of those norms still remain, and some of those outdated kind of ideas of how to be a man still remains. Um, so yeah, no, I think it's interesting. I have another one as well that people have yeah. had to, or I think I've. Call, call people up and be like, you should probably unlearn that. But like, their expectations of what women um should look like, should dress like, I don't know, the way that they should perform femininity is mm. something that I've been like, oh, it's, I mean, it's never been as bad as like them thinking women should only wear skirts. But it, like, you know, when it comes to body hair or like, yeah, yeah. they don't want to talk about the fact that women have periods or like, they're like mm. terrified of them. Like, it's something, and I'm like, you know, every single, like almost every single yeah. woman in your life 
you know, has one of these and it happens every yeah, yeah. single month, but like we can't talk about it because like that's yeah, too yeah. disgusting for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think that's something that I've been like unlearn this please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I I you know, I I again I've since I was probably twelve, grew up with my sister and my mum. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in a in a very female centric household. We were both very close with each other and, and me, you know, yeah, to, yeah. we're still very close now. But um yeah, I mean, you know, those again, there's a semblance of maturity that mm. comes with that understanding. And, you know, we're, I'm, I'm fortunate enough, you know, to, I think you're fortunate enough to surround yourself with people that, that have a similar yeah. concept at least, yeah. but at least some semblance of, of morality and maturity. Um, however, you know, there is, it's almost like it almost goes, and I've said this before, you know, it almost goes from like, um, you know, Jack the lad. I don't want to understand anything about about all of that. To, oh fuck, I'm now an adult. I'm just misinformed. Like, yeah, literally. Um, I, you know, and I don't know how you combat that. You know, the education system. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I in terms of sexual health and stuff like that, and and you know, just bodies. Um, is it adequate enough? Maybe not. Is it the responsibility of educators to do so? It could be argued, you know, it, mm. is it or is it parents, you know, or yeah. is it or is it people around you? I, I, you know, I'm not the person to answer, but certainly some something needs to change um, so that these conversations aren't having to be had, uh, you know, at the ages of mid 20s to say, can you just grow up a bit? And actually? Yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I feel like um, we've deep dived a bit and I very much mm. enjoyed it, but I'm going to lighten mm. it up a bit. Obviously, okay. you talked a bit about being involved in journalism, and I know that mm. you have a degree in sports journalism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to know if you're a football fan. I am, I am. Uh, I can sense that's a loaded question. I imagine you, are, are you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, which side of the pond do you sit on, though? Um, I'm obviously a red. Okay, uh, good. Which is interesting because my I thought my dad was a red because his dad was a red. But his dad was an Everton supporter. And I was like, that is so random for you to just decide to go to the other side. But yeah. I'm yeah, fair fun. enough. What about you? Uh, I'm a Wolves fan uh, for my <laughs> sins. Um, yeah. You're a bit so, of a dark horse then, really? Yeah, well, what can I say? I mean, <laughs> we're still talking about football. But um, <laughs> no, yeah, it, we are... Well, we've, we've been a dark horse for several seasons now. Um, mm. But I, my dad is a massive Wolves fan. It, funny you say that though his dad was a Birmingham fan so um, you know um all of those rivalries but yeah born and bred uh born not too far away from Wolverhampton as I, I mentioned but yeah I mean <laughs> so I want to yeah. know your what's gonna be the next Premier League season looking like who's your top four predictions uh I think you won't like this I think City are winning it again again um yeah I think I think they've improved they've, they've bought really sensibly mm. um uh they've done really well on that and not to say you guys haven't uh but they've just bought better um you know it hurts to say I'm sure <laughs> um I think you guys will finish second I think you'll have a good Champions really? League run again it seems it seems like your it, like your competition you know yeah um so why not uh I think I think Spurs might finish mm, third. I was thinking that. Really, really strong transfer window. Um, yeah. And second season Conte is usually a problem. So, you know, it's not to say they might not push for those top, that top two. You know, Conte is a winner. Um, he's won everywhere he's gone. Why not? Uh, and then fourth is going to be, 
Well, you know, there's loads of conversations in this. Like my ambition, <laughs> uh, like United, no one, no one likes him. Everyone likes seeing him suffer. But you know, it can can Sancho turn up if he turns up? Different game. If Rashford becomes the player he was two seasons ago, different game. Yeah. It depends if they sign well. You know, it, like if if they get three players in, having a back four with Varane and you know, like World Cup winners and quality footballers, like it could change in a second. Um, you know, will will Chelsea be up there? You'd think so. Um, great signing, great mm. signings so far. You know, or rumoured so far. Um, and but I'm I'm not backing Wolves to do well. I think we'll be fourteenth. Oh. <laughs> oh, what? No way. I always think like Wolves. Whenever we play them, I'm thinking this isn't going to be like this is never an easy game for us. We are a bogey team for you, even though yeah. you always win. You always know, win, but, but you always put up a very good fight. Yeah, that's. I don't know why with you guys, particularly all of our season. Like, actually, no, it's it's true. We always turn up against the bigger teams, mm. um, but we can't beat Burnley on a you know on a Tuesday. <laughs> that's the issue. So, um, well, we don't need to anymore, obviously. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, I think um, we've we've got to a point now where we either need to invest in it um, and stick a couple of hundred million behind a transfer budget, which you know the club has. We've got big owners like mm. we're. I think we're in the top 10 wealthiest clubs in the world in terms of like mm. the owners. Mm. Um, but they're very much like buy as you sell as a club, um, which is sensible because, you know, we were for, uh, I think, 40 minutes from liquidation in wow. 2007, uh, 2006. So, you know, yeah. I, 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 I hasten to say that they're making the right decision for the club under new ownership, which makes sense. But we need to uh, we need to see what happens. I just hope we we make some signings and really push on. You know, otherwise all of this kind of positivity and like making progression makes sense, but realistically, mm. it doesn't count for anything if we're finishing, you know, eighth, tenth, and then fourteenth. Like, mm. you know, that's just regression. <laughs> I have two more questions actually. Firstly, okay. um, I think the women's England is through to the quarterfinals now. Do you think we we'll are, win the yeah. Euros? I kind of think. I think we might. I think we might. Yeah, yeah, good team, really good team. Yeah. And look, you know, I think, uh, yeah, that's a great point, by the way. Mm. If we talk about like that, um, we're talking about you know gender norms and and equality. They're the biggest viewership for an England game ever, um, a female England game that is um, for the eight nil um, the other day against against was it Norway. Yeah, it was Norway. Yeah. Um, you know, regardless of how bad Norway were, England were brilliant. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think the fact that they've got so many personalities within that team now as well, like, you know, it, like I'm talking like celebrities, like Leah Williamson, I've been lucky enough to interview her um, a couple of years ago um, through a partnership, one of one of my clients did with Yahoo, and she's brilliant. Um, mm. And she is like a student of the game. And everyone talks about footballers, you know, and say they're intelligent, they're a student of the game. And often those conversations aren't had in the sphere of women's football now. Yeah. This time around, I think it really is being had. And let's just hope that we can continue to build on that because with that investment and with that interest, it comes quality because that's what we're seeing in this tournament. So, yeah, I'm yeah, back definitely. us to win it. Um, why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah, definitely. Let's go England. Also, a lot more female punters um, when yeah. I watch the men games as well, which is great to see. But I think, 100%. I think they still get, like, harassment, which is so, like, just why? Yeah. I always think, just why? Leave, leave people alone. She's doing a good yeah. job. Yeah, I look, you know, and it's another good example of, of one of those things that, um, you know, those traditionally 
male-centric activities yeah. that unfortunately just bring out the absolute worst <laughs> in people. Yeah. Um, because you can absolutely guarantee the people that shout abuse or say, you know, sordid things to women in a crowd at a football game wouldn't say it to their own mother. Um, it, it's just, yeah. you know... I, yeah, I can't. I can't explain. I can only apologise uh, <laughs> on behalf of, <laughs> on behalf of every man ever. <laughs> yeah, think, uh, you know, I've, I've, I'll, pop, I'll pop you on my shoulders for ten seconds and just say, <laughs> really sorry for the outliers who are all balanced. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, will you be supporting the Qatar World Cup? Like, will you be watching? I will be watching, um, and I I won't be boycotting. And the reason is simple. Now. Um, Yes, we should raise awareness of the issues with it. You know, I think from both a an ethical point of view, mm. also from um, you know the discourse around how Qatar got that World Cup, yeah. how they became the hosts. You know, that down to that kind of um, the societal pressures put on on women um, in those in you know that region. Um, I won't name drop and, and pretend that I'm clued up enough to know which of of the countries within that region are selective of you know of those beliefs. Yeah. However, look, to me, as a huge football fan, you know, the World Cup is a special occasion and I'd be a hypocrite to say I didn't, I, I won't watch it and enjoy yeah. every moment. Um, I, and I'd be a hypocrite to say I didn't watch the Brazil World Cup where the mm. same kind of issues were, were being yeah, said. Yeah. Exactly. And I love that one. And that's often held up as one of the best World Cups ever, you know, yeah. purely for the football. Um, you know, do we have a responsibility to hold governing bodies to account? Yes. Do we have a responsibility to, um, you know, like, like safeguard against um, nations being used as political entities and football being used as political entity. Yes, we do. You know, do I want the World Cup formed as a as a political weapon? No, I don't. Mm. However, um, you know, I'll, I will be enjoying this World Cup. It's unique. We've never had a Winter World Cup before. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm going to enjoy it. You know, the same as any other. I'm hoping waistcoat and the boys bring it home. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not confident based on the the last set of internationals. Didn't Italy like not qualify or something though? Italy didn't qualify, but I mean, you know, we're very much uh, we're we're a very fickle uh, bunch yeah. of England fans. So you know, yes, we got to the final, of the last one, um, and Southgate deserves the time uh, because he's done so well for us. But yeah. we also did lose four 0 to Hungary less than two months ago. Mm. Um, so it's it's hard. It's you know there are times when it's good to be optimistic, um, and there are times when it's very hard to be optimistic. Um, but I'm just hoping we batter Wales. To be honest, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it, really. fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, um, um, but yeah, how about how about you? Are you going to be watching? Um, I think so. I think I uh, to be honest, when I started reading about like, um, well, actually, I listened to a podcast on it and how. Um, and how many deaths there were there were creating all of the stadiums and so many migrant workers were drafted in and basically I mean it, none of these things are ever completely ethical um yeah. but I think yeah I think it would be in like completely inauthentic to say that I would probably end up watching it and screaming every time yeah. Harry yeah, Kane yeah. hopefully puts it in the back of the net, but I yeah, completely should have squared it. <laughs> I, think there should, I think there should be more responsibility and more, um, just like even just like an ethics panel to be like, is this like should, like should we not veto this? Like should we not do this more ethically? Well, the issue is, is that you know, and um, I'm again, I'm I'm lucky enough to have, have worked in the game in a couple of capacities, mm. but. I've interviewed members of FIFA before. And unfortunately, yeah. when you have people like Seth Blatter, 
um, at the top and, and, you know, FIFA headed up by, um, by you know, people who essentially have been proven to be corrupt, regardless of whether the trial says they're corrupt or not. Yeah. We can all see the transcript. Yeah. You know, Michelle Platini, the same. Unfortunately, in Michelle Platini's case, uh, both fortunately and unfortunately, Michelle Platini is a legend of the game, you know, as a footballer, uh, and then therefore has got had a, probably quite a lot of leeway in terms of the deals he does as the head of a governing body. Now, yeah. if that's the head of your governing body realistically regardless of the moral and ethical kind of um, hang-ups are they going to be vetoed uh in in advance mm. of getting a big payout probably not yeah um and it's the same for most sports um unfortunately doesn't make it better doesn't justify it uh but i will still be back in the boys um <laughs> yeah uh you know and i think it goes uh, you know we look at the last couple of tournaments that we've done really well at and it's been something that's actually pulled the country together um yeah. And that's a positive to me because, I mean, look at the last year alone. <laughs> I think we'll need it in wintertime as well. Like, I think it will yeah. give us something to get happy about. And Exactly, yeah, exactly. Definitely. Especially if you're second in the league as well, you're going to be miserable. All right, you're getting too comfortable on this podcast already. <laughs> um, that being said, the final question I ask everyone as well is, what do you think people should talk less about and what do you think people should talk more about? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I you should always ask this on a date, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really good question. I might even ask the um, the toxic masculinity one just to, you know, Ooh. mix it up, see what comes back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, no, I think less, we should talk less about um, celebrities and influencers as a means of inspiration and benchmarking. Mm-hmm. I think naturally the, um, those comparisons are often poisonous. I think you should focus on your own journey and, do what makes you happy, healthy, and and what drives you. Um, you know, I think that there are benefits to everything within it, but I also think that ultimately a lot of people um, rely too heavily on it, and we encourage a lot of people to rely too heavily on it through ignoring it. Um, you know, I think there should be more safeguarding put on young people and, and uh, you know, kind of benchmarking themselves against people they see on Instagram. Um, I don't necessarily think that that's... Uh, um, well, it's, it's not healthy, and, mm. and we know that, um, and there are statistics about that up. So that would be what I think we should talk less about, um, and I think we should talk more, um, you know, what would the boys do podcast? Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, I'm, I won't plug, I promise. Um, but I, I think more should be given, more airtime should be given to those who are doing generally groundbreaking and inspiring things. Um, I think that is a... <clears throat> not all news... Is, well, not all news is bad news, Uh and bad news can be great news, if that makes sense. So, like, it's really, it's really easy to get sucked into a story that is bad news, um, but we spend so much time talking about all of the negative things that we, we don't choose to concentrate on the positive mm. things. I'm talking about, you know, I want to put a spotlight on those people doing dramatic endeavours to raise money for good causes, or, mm. you know, like the nine-year-old that's, that's um, shaved their hair off uh, to, you know, with solidarity with a classmate, or the Captain Tom, mm. you know, like it was a polar example of like, there's the nothing else at all. around him now, though? Uh, it, yeah, I mean that's. I think. I think any controversy placed on oh, Captain Tom I feel, himself. I feel is like bad. that's not what he would have wanted. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I think uh, you know. Again, look, it's it's a muddy world as we know. Um, but you know, if if that comes to pass that that um, people are doing uh, unethical things in the name of Captain Tom, then uh, they shame should, on uh, them. 
Yeah, pulled to rights. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as I say, we spend so much time kind of talking about the 1%. Um, let's, yeah. let's focus on the 1% of astonishing, like rip-roaringly good people uh, changing the world through adversity one step at a time. Um, yeah. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. No, thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Um, where where can people find you if they want to um, chat more with uh, you or hear more of your wise words? Uh, you can obviously find me on uh, on social media um, at Jack two nine zero four nine seven. But more importantly, um, you can find the podcast, which is currently hosted on Acast. Um, but we will be very soon on Spotify, um, iTunes, all of the above. Um, what would the boys do? Please follow us on Instagram. Um, we are setting off, so we're going to be launching season two, um, start of August. Um, and we're starting with a banger, so we hope to see you all there. Um, and of course, obviously, um, subscribe to the Not An Original Thought because uh, <laughs> well, we, lo- we love it here. <laughs> I will be tuning in to your launch in August. How exciting. And thank you so much again. Not a problem at all. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Jack again for being amazing. Um, And if you like this podcast, please rate it five stars. Um, Feel free to reach out. You can follow us on at not an OG thought pod. So that's at N-O-T-A-N-O-G thought pod. Um, Or tell a friend or, you know, repost us. We will repost it. And yeah, look forward to hearing your thoughts. I hope you have a lovely week. Hopefully the weather will become a little bit less hot. But let's hope the sun sticks around. Okay, I will see you next time. Bye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.